Six students from TCNJ recently published a research paper on COVID news coverage in a double-volume issue in the Spanish journal Tripodos. The following students involved in this publication include Suchir Govindarajan, Alexis Marta, James Sperano, Miranda Crowley, Abigail Lewis, Radhika Paradine, and Dr. Pollock, Professor of Communications and Public Health. They originally published the first article on nationwide coverage of federal government responses to the coronavirus, finding that media manifest a disappointment in that the national government has not robustly protected the public. With most members present, we were able to discuss the research process, the career application into the real world, as well as working forward in their second installment of the project. So thank you all again for, uh, for meeting with me today. This is, I'm so glad that we could discuss uh, your latest publication. So it was, um, it was your research on um, nationwide coverage of, federal, uh, of the federal government response to the coronavirus and um, basically the impact of media during this time. So how did you all first begin um, your interest in research? And during this, like, I guess at the very beginning, how did you first get into the interest in doing research? It's Dr. Pollock, you know? <laughs> I, I, I think I, I kind of took um, a leave of absence. I think Lexi and I both had to take a leave of absence our freshman fall, and when we came back, Dr. Pollock was our advisor. He was just a friendly face within the comm studies program. And we took uh, your methods of communication research course, the, the mandatory analysis class. And kind of from there, we all kind of, I don't know, we started doing a lot of community structure theory research with Dr. Pollock, which is obviously his wheelhouse, he created it. So <laughs> um, it was kind of perfect. It was a perfect way to get started in the research process was through that class. And then since then we've each done a bunch of different community structure projects with Dr. Pollock through some of his other courses and, and also independent studies. So this is a really good example of that. Yeah, and I think that this past spring, we were all enrolled in a group project in a different class of Dr. Pollock's that doesn't necessarily deal with community structure theory. And we were doing a project on the coronavirus and it was like very real time, like it started in January. So we were, you know, kept updating our uh, work on it. And then Dr. Pollock, when we got, you know, sent home, he approached us and he was like, hey, so do you guys want to like not do that project anymore? And we can completely do the community structure theory. So we're like, well, why not? That's really relevant. That's awesome. And um, yeah, we've been working on it since that fateful day in March, March 13th. March, yeah. March 14th. It should have been spring break, but instead it was a great community structure vacation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because right, and we should we should let Dr. Pollock kind of explain. No, no, no. I, uh, I'd say what prompted me to, to ask. Uh, these were already students who were clearly, you know, had gone above and beyond, and they were kind of an elite uh, commando force. I have a, I have a uh, article I've written called the communication commando approach or something. It's how I I operate. Like I'm a coach, and I like to field winning teams, and it's it's so I'm more in, in your face than the typical professor. So it's a whole. It's a whole approach I have. But anyway, well, I noticed there were suddenly a couple of calls for papers, one by this Tripodos in Spain. They said, you, the deadline is, you know, I don't know. <clears throat> it was what, early um, May or something. May. <laughs> May. <clears throat> and they said they would publish it in, you know, June or July. I said, oh my goodness. So uh, we had to move very quickly. So I said, look, there's this opportunity. I have no idea what our chances are, but you know, why don't we give this a shot? Because uh, I knew these were already excellent students. 
And um, there was another deadline for a chapter in a book. Uh, and I said, well, we can do the local state, you know, local coverage of the chapter in the book, which is, which is, that was accepted by the way, that, that will be published by uh, Rutledge. And, and in fact, the, 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 co the editor of that book then asked me after seeing our chapter, said, how would you like to co-edit the book? So now I'm doing that. In fact, I'm co-editing two books with him. So on <laughs> coverage of coronavirus. So it's kind of, I mean, it's fascinating. Anyway, so we had two deadlines. We had, uh, and they were both in the spring. So they had to work, you know, just around the clock, 24 seven. And we met both deadlines. And uh, sure enough, the first article published is the one by Tripodos. The chapter, of course, in the book will take until next year sometime to appear, but that was accepted immediately as well. How did you all decide what topic to focus on for the paper and where to center your research? I think that came with our, oh, I don't want to like interrupt you. That's all your left, go. All right, so I think, I think that also came with our initial project. What um, it was, oh, I'm totally blanking on like what the specific project was called, but we had to pick- campaign. A global yeah. campaign. Yeah, so we had to pick a public health topic. So we were already like hearing whispers of like, oh, the coronavirus in the United States. So we thought, hmm, okay, like this is interesting. This isn't gonna amount to much, but like, let's see if we can do anything with it. Yeah. This is late January, mind you. So, you know. Coronavirus was just a twinkle in the eye of somebody at the time. Yeah, we really thought we were going to prevent this uh, pandemic yeah. with our stuff. I would just like to say, if that project ever goes, gets out there, we did predict some pretty accurate prevention and safety behavior in air, in airports. We should have sent it to who, you know? I think <laughs> yeah, the right. CDC would have benefited. <laughs> and then they closed the airport travel for like half, of, you know, the world. So then the whole thing became moot. But I think our research was still pretty good. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was excellent. In fact, I mean, if I, if I hadn't seen these, these, these two calls for papers that, you know, this team would have gone ahead and done a, um, a global campaign to, to, you know, to, reduce the spread of the coronavirus. I'm sure it would have been an excellent campaign. Yeah, so I think that's really how it happened. I think was what Lexi was gonna say is, we just happened to have picked COVID-19 at the end of January. And then we got sent home because of COVID-19 in the middle of March. And then we decided why not uh, Radhika actually wasn't in the class. No, yeah, we, I wasn't. I wasn't in the class. I was doing um, an independent study on diabetes and social capital um, with Dr. Pollock on the side, and I was also taking um, another the same research methods class that Lexi and uh, Miranda were in. Um, but I kind of just got looped into it halfway, which was really nice that I got to she got be suffered. part of it. Yeah, <laughs> we dragged her in to help yeah. us with the coding, and there's just yeah. a lot of the data analysis and collection process that Radhika was familiar with. So it was kind of yeah. great that she was. And it was to help also out. good that a lot of us are doing communications in addition to public health. So it was nice to see kind of the intersection of that. I know Lexi's um, a comm studies major. Um, Suchir is a public health minor, but you were taking comm studies class. And then I'm a double major. So it was nice to kind of see the intersection of that through the study. And I'm just interested in public health. I didn't actually <laughs> major or minor in it. You've taken a lot of public health classes. Probably. I've done a lot of research studies with it. Yeah. But this was the first time I'd done probably a, a public health topic, but from a community structure um, lens. So I guess going back real quick to community structure, I think in the comm department, we learn a lot about agenda setting theory, which says obviously it's a top-down approach saying that media affect communities and, and that affects perceptions and, and whatnot. But I think 
um, I might be butchering your, your theory, Dr. Pollock, but the idea of community structure theory is that it's a bottom-up lens saying that um, variations in coverage is, are often impacted by different community demographics. So we kind of look at different indicators within different major cities throughout the U.S., like Boston or um, Albany or something like that, and we'll check to see, you know, how newspapers are framing government responses to COVID-19 um, and whether or not those frames correspond to different um, fluctuations in population demographics. The, the, the alternative to government responsibility for COVID would be, let's say, society responsibility, leaving it up to charities, individuals, families, groups, and so on, as opposed to saying the government is really responsible for doing something about this. Uh, and so we, by the way, we've developed community structure theory right, right here at, at TCMJ. And, um, you know, it's, it's co-authoring with students like these that has led to all these things. I think I've co-authored about 140 referee papers presented at state, national, international conferences, at least 30 chapters or articles, and uh, at least a couple of books with students. So <laughs> this is a whole research agenda and we're known at TCNJ for this kind of this kind of study. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so with this um, research project, uh, with of course working with a group of six students and a professor, how did you um, decide to split up the work and organize like responsibilities? <laughs> Miranda is the queen of splitting up responsibilities. <laughs> we will, we have a group chat and Miranda was just like, okay, who wants to do this? Who wants to do that? Okay, you're doing this, you're doing that. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean it in the best possible way. Like, I don't think without her, like we would have been as a well-oiled machine as we were slash are. Like really hats off to Miranda. She's our <laughs> thing. And Abby and I actually had never taken community structure theory um, before or taken a class that covered it. So we were kind of learning on the go. Um, so it was like really up for Miranda to make sure we got a good portion of work that we weren't overwhelmed with it but it was definitely a lot of like her also teaching us as we went um but like it's a blessing now because we're both taking classes that cover that um but yeah it was it was not even not even like breaking up the work but like Miranda was helping us like learn the process as we went mm -hmm. <laughs> it was it was a very it was a big team effort I think there was a, there was a lot of us who knew what the study was like Radhika which is why um I think we really wanted her to join because she knew about the study our other member James who can't be here tonight he was he's done a million of these studies also. Lexi's done them, I've done them. Obviously, Dr. Pollock knows what he's talking about. So it was really just a matter of, you know, catching um, uh, Suchir and Abby up to speed. And I mean, I really do mean, I think a lot of people, I think this study was so interesting also because it was done basically over Zoom. Um, Cause we started it after we had come home, after we were sent home by TCNJ. So I think it was, it was both a, a practice in community structure theory and also how to just do work over Zoom. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel really bad. I think there are a lot of people who were stuck with group work last semester who they weren't able to handle it as well because they didn't, well, their group members were just all over the place. Nobody knew what was going on, but we got really lucky in that we had six members and a professor who adapted to using technology really well and also worked really well together. So it kind of all just happened really fast. It really could have been a disaster, but I think it went really well because everyone was so willing to show up, put in the time and effort. They were okay with me sending them a million messages at all times of the day, <laughs> a million emails, a million CCs. But um, 
you know, we did get there, a pandemic and 123 news articles later. Brent <laughs> so. is a superb quarterback. Uh, uh, it's also advantageous that <clears throat> we were doing uh, data collection by looking at newspaper coverage. And of course, the library has all kinds of databases. New Newsbank, for example, is a database we use for the US. And, you, and there's also a class I teach that's cross-national coverage uh, of critical issues called international communication in the, in the fall. Anyway, but so it was possible because of the access to databases the library already has to do this kind of uh, research remotely. And there are many kinds of research you can't do remotely, obviously, but this, this we could. Yeah. We also had access to all of the community demographics. I mean, the librarians at TCNJ are fantastic. They're great under normal circumstances, and they're really great in a pandemic. We know that now. I mean, Aaron Ackerman and, and Dr. Uh, uh, David David Murray were just fantastic. They answered so many emails. Any of the librarians through the Ask a Librarian chat. I think Abby was really in charge of collecting the community demographics, which was so she was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> That's sometimes the hardest part, yeah, getting all that information together and getting it into the software that we use. Yes, yeah, so she was, was she was great with corresponding with the librarians and mm -hmm. we have access to all of that online. So we got really lucky. Yeah. Nice, nice. <laughs> so since it's like, um, since many of you are, st are in the field of like communications and public health, how was it like like applying your studies to like the real world and application that was actually happening? I think the most important part was just in terms of keeping track of current events. I know in public health and in communication studies, everybody kind of emphasizes the importance of that. And I think that that applied really well to the study because just trying to make sense of the news articles that we were reading and trying to see, you know, how does, um, newspaper coverage, you know, in Seattle affect the, what we're seeing in the news and kind of seeing the interplay was really interesting. Yeah. I also think it helps that the way Dr. Pollock runs a lot of his courses, I think we say all the time in class, it's, we kind of run it like a, a paper workshop, so to speak, or a research process workshop in that you come in on the first day and you're writing, you're picking groups, you're picking a topic. And then by the next class, you're gonna have an introduction written a lot of the time. So for those of us who had taken this class with him, we were, it's a great way as an undergraduate to kind of, you know, someone holds your hand and they take you through the different research steps until you have this wonderful paper. And Dr. Pollock and any of like his LAs who help out, um, I guess that's a, I didn't mean that as a shout out to myself. I am an LA. <laughs> I meant that to my wonderful LA, Casey Henderson, like, who taught us. We have at least, at least two here. And Miranda's a, Miranda's a, a lifer. She's in there. Let's see. This is her third time. <laughs> <clears throat> so, yeah. yeah I think it's also, oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 you go. I think it's also really cool that in communications, uh, at least as far as I'm aware, there's not always opportunities to do research. So you hear a lot of people in STEM majors, like it's a requirement to graduate. They have to produce a research paper, but that's not always the case for communication students. So I think it was really, really cool that, and it was very validating. Like, you know, we didn't expect to have this opportunity. It kind of just landed at our feet, like, oh, you're doing this now. And I think that, you know, being a communications and public health person now, like, you know, I can say like, oh, well, I'm a published author. Like I can, you know, say that type of thing. And that's, um, 
it's just, it feels good. It feels very good, I guess, like on a personal level, just very validating. Yeah. Yeah, and as an English major, like I, I never even thought that I was in the realm of possibility that I would ever even do research <laughs> at uh, the college. Um, but I realized that like, it, it was more, not about like, what it would contribute to my English major, but more about the skill set I got from it. So I think it was nice to see research in a light that wasn't necessarily like as a um, you know, a checklist of, of things I had to do before graduating. It's more of like, I was able to advance my education and my group project working skills um, in a different way. So it was, it was a cool way of uh, developing that other educational skill set. Yeah, I think it's also owed to the fact that TCNJ in general has a really strong emphasis on faculty-student partnerships. And this is a really great example of that. And the comm studies department is, I can't speak on for any other department, maybe public health or English, but I know within our comm studies department, we do a lot of faculty and student like joint-led research. And this was a really great example of that. Would you say that this experience and just with the coronavirus in general, has it shifted or maybe like validated even more um, your like career interest and opportunities that you're considering? Yeah, I mean, I'm applying to public health graduate schools. And before I had done research with Dr. Pollock, I didn't really think that I wanted to go down like the research rabbit hole. I thought I would want to do more like policy oriented things. But now I realize I love doing research. Like it's so gratifying. You get to work with really fascinating people and nothing is more amazing to I, I don't want to say like have influence, but be able to like hold information in your hand and say like, I produce this and this is going to help someone. And I think that's a really cool thing that, you know, as undergraduates that we get to say that we've, you know, taken part in that. It's really, really cool. So, I mean, like I said before, I wasn't even considering doing research and now that's like all I want to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. I know that being able to put um, on my resume or talking to interviews about how I have research experience helped me get um, my internship for the summer and also my internship in the fall because a lot of people, especially in public health as undergraduates, don't really have the opportunity to do research at all because that's usually reserved in a lot of bigger schools for graduate programs. But at TCNJ, because there's such an emphasis on student faculty research, like Miranda mentioned, a lot of students like us have that opportunity, which kind of puts you um, a mile ahead of people who don't have that kind of experience as an undergrad. Yeah, and it's also, I think I, this, it's kind of interesting that I've done so much research since being at TCNJ because I, I never thought that I was going to be this interested in doing research. And I actually think for me, what, what this study shows, I mean, not to dive too deep into the, the findings, but I think, I think people think of, of, COVID-19 is strictly a public health issue. And what I really liked about this study is that we reveal a lot of deep divides within American communities over, you know, whether or not we think government is doing a good job in its pandemic responses. And obviously, if you're on social media, you see that people have very different opinions. But I think this paper kind of affirmed to me what I'd been seeing all along. And it's really, really, really cool and really gratifying to do a research study. And, you know, it feels so abstract until you get your results back through SPSS. And you can see like, oh, like that's, that's right. Like I, 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 I could have predicted that because it's kind of, it's a reflection of everyday life. So it was really cool for me to kind of just have done this study while also living through what I was studying. 
um, and to have those results come back and I could kind of make connections to um, what I had been seeing since March on social media and in newspaper coverage that I had read. So it's been really great. And I know I'm going into more policy stuff. I'm applying for a master's of public administration um, at the Maxwell School. So <laughs> um, Dr. Pollock got to me <laughs> and I'll be applying there and I'm really excited and afterwards law school. So I know that I wanna one day influence public policy. And while it may not seem that doing communication studies research uh, is probably, I don't know, uh, conducive to a career in policy, I, I think differently because this is an example of a hard hitting communication studies uh, research project that kind of unearthed some of the inequities in our healthcare system and how people are handling that and how that's reflected in our newspaper coverage. So it's been really, it's been really great. <laughs> it kind of shows me that what we're doing is important. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> were there any um, big surprises from your research? Like through this whole process, you're living it and researching it all at once. Like, were there things that you recognize like that made you think about it differently, the whole experience? I want to say our findings were, our findings definitely were very partisan. We revealed a deep, deep partisan divide between Democrats and Republicans. Um, and we've done so many different iterations of this study, but I mean, this is the federal, the first federal Trump study that we did on the um, coverage of the Trump administration's responses to the coronavirus. And I think we saw that Republicans were very in favor of what the government, mm -hmm. but actually across the board, I believe most newspapers came back as portraying unfavorable coverage of the um, federal and Trump administration's uh, pandemic responses. And I think, again, you see that on social media, <laughs> people say it in different ways with expletives and loudly and a lot of exclamation marks, but I think you can see in real life a partisan divide when it comes to their reactions to what government is doing. Um, and I definitely think you can also see that in the research and in the data. So. Yeah. But an, another pattern in addition to the partisanship, which we could sort of predict, was that um, <clears throat> the higher proportion of privileged groups in a city, the less favorable the coverage. It was sort of a, a we, we call it a violated buffer. Buffer means people are privileged and they're buffered from economic uncertainty. <clears throat> a violated buffer means uh, you anticipate a negative coverage of biological threats or threats to a cherished way of life in proportion to the, the uh, relative proportion of, of privileged groups in a community. So for example, the higher proportion <clears throat> of community, communities with high proportions of positions per 100,000 uh, or higher percent of municipal spending or uh, wealthier age groups, 45 to 64, for example, more privileged age groups. Um, higher salaries and that sort of thing, the more negative the coverage of the federal government's handling of the coronavirus. So we call that a violated buffer. And that's a, that's a, that's a pattern that we found in our research over year, years, of, years of study. So it's not simply partisanship, which it was, but also this violated buffer pattern. Would you say, like with media coverage, has it made you consider the media's role differently? Like, it, of course, you study it with like the coronavirus, but just in general, have these reactions, like have these results, like could they be carried to another issue or is it just kind of, is it unique? I mean, it's hard to say in general, but like, are they unique to just public health and coronavirus in general? Community structure theory predicts that, uh, as Miranda articulated that, uh, media will be responsive to local, you know, municipal conditions or metropolitan conditions 
and we measure it through demographics instead of we can't get access to many public opinion polls but demographics are relatively enduring and we've been i mean i've been doing this over three decades so that's why there's so many books and articles and papers so we find three four four major patterns you know and one was the violated buffer and others buffer itself the higher proportion of privileged groups the more favorable the coverage of human rights claims that's buffer uh, or vulnerability the higher proportion of groups that are vulnerable to poverty levels or percent uninsured or percent unemployed, the more media respond to the, the interests of those who are vulnerable. And finally, stakeholder um, concern. And that can include voters of different parties, it can include different religious groups and so forth. I also just think this community structure is an interesting theory to work with right now. I think we live in a very, um, I think ideology-wise, agenda-setting theory is is the big hitter, and I think we also see a lot of in like popular narratives, especially in political communication. We see a lot of people saying how media are evil and they're influencing the public, and so community structure theory and doing a study like this right now is really interesting in that, in a sense, because we're saying that the people drive different sorts of coverage, you kind of give power back to the people a little bit in the media um, in the. American media process. So it's kind of interesting to, to look at it from a different way. I think we're so used to seeing on Fox News or CNN how, you know, different media channels are persuading you left and right. So now it's kind of interesting to, I mean, community structure theory doesn't deny that I think media have some influence or that media frame narratives, but it's interesting to see that people are driving coverage and not the other way around necessarily. Mm -hmm. So it's just an interesting lens to look at right now. I think especially with the different Democratic and Republican talking points about fake news and what it means to have partisan news. And so this is just an interesting way to give power back to the public. With doing this research, all while also doing classes during like a time of great uncertainty, how did it like, did you feel as though doing this research helped you, I guess, like mentally and emotionally to like have a better frame of reference of what was going on? Like, cause I'd imagine a lot of people like had no idea what was going on, but when you're in the forefront of research, is, was that comforting to some extent? I think it was very grounding that in the midst of all of this uncertainty, we had fact and we had, I guess, scholarship on our side that this was always something, you know, I mean, we're also all pretty good friends. So just knowing that like once a week we had our little meeting and like that was our little happiness for the week um you know, when everything else was like burning around us like we had our research and so i think that it twofold it was very good for our mental health in the sense that we were surrounded by facts constantly and that we were able to like go and like fact check for ourselves um, but also just like that sense of community was really really good and i mean it still is really good and we all still text constantly so <laughs> We're in a phase two of this project now yeah. for something else. So it's oh, neat. Yeah. The the adventure continues. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't I, think Dr. Pollock's gonna let us graduate. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Pollock's no. gonna I'm threatening to give them negative recommendations so they have to stay around. Yeah, I agree with Lexi. Yeah, I agree too. It was nice. Um Dr. Pollock used to bring us YouTube videos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like funny funny songs and stuff yeah it was it was a Not great way nice. it was it was also productive I mean, we weren't yeah, just yeah. watching YouTube videos that's a, are you aware of the uh you're aware of course of, of the uh, Wimbleway song right 
Win the way, win the way, or not? I'm sure I am, like, if I heard it. <laughs> the lion's lips tonight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. became obsessed with okay. that song. Well, it says, vote him away, vote him away, vote him away, vote him away. <laughs> and then, and then the, the, the liar sleep in the White House, the liar sleep tweets tonight. My mom sent that back to me on on the night of the uh, presidential election because I showed it to her the night that that you showed it to me. She loved yeah. it. Oh, the, the debate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the White House, the mighty White House, the liar tweets tonight. Yeah. Yeah, it was that was that was one of the highlights I think from our meeting. It was a, <laughs> to answer your, your question. It was a it was a great way, like Lexi said, to get together every week with. People. And it also is twice it, a week. Twice, yeah, I think twice yeah. a week we met sometimes. And it was also just kind of a routine. Yeah. I think everything felt a little uncertain, but we always knew that twice a week we were going to get together, talk about our study, go edit our paper. We did a lot of editing sessions. And um, shout out to Google Docs. I mean, yeah. It can be unreliable. It can be unreliable, but in a pinch, in a pandemic, it does work with yeah. group projects. Especially with the citations. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of. Different, <laughs> different journals have different citation manuals, which is just horrible. Edited together a lot of phasers. <laughs> we we edited in real time, so we had to condense things from you know eight thousand or nine thousand words down to five, and so we were all slashing and burning at the same time. It was wonderful <laughs> stuff. Very good experience. Edited. I, uh, I think that one session took us three hours to cut down our paper because yeah, we went from like fifty three pages to like seventeen. Yeah, and yeah, my, right. my computer died halfway through, and I was sharing my screen, so I had to log back on, and yeah, it was it was a lot of, there were times where all six, it's, you also have probably too many cooks, because there's six of us, seven of us, all, all looking at this document. At the end, we were like, I think we just took out every verb. And the, <laughs> <laughs> there's no verb. No verb. Well, that's one way to edit, yeah. yeah so, I think we all became better writers. Oh, from yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because there were seven people telling you that the sentence would make sense. <laughs> only room for honesty. <laughs> you only have 10 words left to make them count. <laughs> so you would all like maybe write up a section of like your research and then it would all come together and then you would group edit. That's um... Yeah, so we all worked on a different section mm -hmm. um, individually because mm -hmm. Uh, I think everybody but Suchira and Abby had written a paper kind of similar to it. So we all kind of knew what we were doing. And we had a couple of templates from previous studies that were somewhat similar that we could kind of go off of um, as a starting point. Mm -hmm. So we started by doing that. And then every week we would come together and edit the paper down to try to, you know, cut out the meat or cut out, cut the fat out. Yeah. <laughs> cut out the meat. You definitely, <laughs> out the meat. You definitely want to, we're, we're doing sustainable diets. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, no, but you're right. That's, and that goes back to Lexi points out that I'm extremely type A and Google Docs lets you assign people things. <laughs> so I was assigning, you know, introduction, Abby and, and literature review, Radhika. And it was just kind of cool to watch the doc come together. I mean, everyone, I think, well, I'm a comm studies major. So I assume almost everyone has done a group paper. I don't know if that's true, but I know in our department, everyone does, I think at least once you do a group paper and this was an example of one that just went really well. Yeah. Thankfully, everyone yeah, could write. You. Everyone was interested in what we were doing. Everyone was available. So, yeah. That makes all the difference. I'm sorry to lie with that. It did. Yeah. So you mentioned that there's like a phase two of this project. Like, could you, is it confidential or could you 
give a little preview of how you're continuing? <laughs> it's not confidential. It's it's very much an extension of what we did in the past. Yeah. So we, like Dr. Pollock said, we submitted a a federal uh, federal version of our paper to the Trupados um, Journal, the Spanish Journal, and then we submitted a state and local coverage version to um, a very nice professor and researcher from California um, who reached out to us yeah. for a call for papers for his book. Oh, putting together a book. That, well, Dr. Pollock is now yeah. <laughs> editing it and doing all the work, but his name is Doug Backcoach. Yes, yeah. He does a lot of really cool uh, extraterrestrial research. Um, he does really something. He, um, he he creates the messages that Na NASA sends to um, Mars oh, wow. <laughs> to, to tell Martians who we are. <laughs> you have something you'd like to say to Mars. We uh, have uh, we have a direct have line. <laughs> I have I have been to Mars. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this study that we're working on, we spent the summer actually as soon as we wrapped up the first study with. Tripodos and with the um, book chapter, we immediately dove into a second round of research. So we wanted to, it's almost like a longitudinal study in that we wanted to see if opinions had changed. Um, and we ran data results. Again, we did data collection and analysis over the summer. And we kind of found from it that the federal and Trump responses came back a little bit inconclusive. We didn't find enough uh, data for that. So, but our state and local coverage came back really interesting in that, um, in the beginning, I think from the, the state and local coverage kind of showed that people were a little more understanding and forgiving of state government and local government. And it's been too long. I think we've seen people, they're, they're kind of sick and tired of being in their house. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. this is really stressful. I think people are, are fed up. So this time, actually, our state and local coverage came back extremely negative, and it mirrors almost exactly our federal Trump study that we're talking to you about right now, which has actually been really interesting. And I think, again, we were talking about how data kind of reflects the real world. Um, I, I think I knew even before we did the study that our results were going to come back pretty negative. Yeah. I mean, especially we live in New Jersey, which is film. I mean, I'm a little biased because I'm, I've been working with the Murphy administration for the past two years, but I mean, he's really on top of the pandemic as much as he can be. Um, might be a personal opinion, sorry, but <laughs> um, I think it's it's one of the more stringent protocols that there that there've been government mandated protocols for the virus, and I can see on Facebook there's all these big Facebook groups that I have to monitor as my as my job where people are they're fed up, they want the economy to start running again, they're worried about their small businesses, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, it's been a lot of. I wasn't surprised. I don't know if anyone else was, but I wasn't surprised. Yeah, especially. So and, and this this paper will be submitted to uh, uh, to be presented at the at the annual meeting of the International Communication Association, which is the most prestigious association in communication studies. It's meeting uh, either virtually or hybrid in Denver next May. So. Sorry, we were just hitting the light. <laughs> Yeah, I think what was also interesting is like Miranda was saying that we had really negative feedback regarding like state handling of the coronavirus. And so when even just like this was like, what, two days ago that that whole like plot to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer from Michigan, Michigan. Like, that was shocking. Yeah. But at the same time, it was like, 
yeah, like research, our research kind of like says that people are fed up with her, but like, I don't know that I would have predicted a hostile takeover, no. but I, no. I did read some very angry yeah. articles. Oh, yeah. I remember from, from Michigan. That's actually so crazy. You're right. We read some really crazy articles. There, yeah. We don't use opinion articles in our data collection, but you kind of read through them trying to get to the hard news stuff. And wow, the people, people were very upset with, yeah. with Governor Whitmer. So yeah. We should have told the woman. We should have told her. We should have told her. That's terrifying. <laughs> how, how negative does a media vector need to get before it crosses the threshold? We need to warn the governor. Yeah. <laughs> probably tell Paul Murphy a thing or two. <laughs> well. So when you were looking for um, different sources like that, you mentioned that you usually don't look at opinions as much, but was there were there certain guidelines that you had that like you were thinking like, oh, like we, well, I guess like you, like you just want to be open to anything, but it's like um, through research. But what was that process like? So there's Dr. Pollock actually like developed like this, I guess, way to discern which articles you can and cannot use. So like, for example, they have to be more than 250 words. It cannot be an opinion article. Um, and then we also set the time limits of when we're looking at articles from. So I think you know, you pick a very specific start point and you pick a very specific end point and you're only looking at articles within that time period. Um, and then it's also categorized by cities and the cities you have to have like aggregate data on. So uh, Dr. Pollock obviously like lay the groundwork for us in terms of like how to pick out which articles. So our biggest thing was like Miranda said, reading 123 of these articles. Lord, those were just the articles we accepted. I mean, yeah. You read hundreds. Oh. Hundreds of articles, I think. Yeah, not to complain, Dr. Pollock. We, we it's, right. it's, great. <laughs> yeah. it's a good way, though, because I know you had asked how we were staying up to date on news, and you know, it, it wasn't that. If you could see some of the research, the articles that we read, not all of them were that informative. Some of them were just angry <laughs> or or fear mongering, but a lot of them were constant updates on, you know, what the CDC is saying. And a lot of also because we're looking at government response, I think I probably knew more about what the governor of uh, New Mexico was implementing for small businesses than maybe some of the people in New Mexico, it felt like. So, yeah. The, uh, you know, the coding uh, is it's not just the content, favorable, unfavorable, balanced, neutral. We combine it with a measure of prominence, how likely somebody is to actually read the article. So we have scores for uh, how uh, close uh, an article is to the front of the paper, or uh, how big the headline, how many words in the headline, how long the article is, whether, how many, whether they're graphics or photos and so on. So all of that is multiplied by the direction. So it, it's... So you, you, each the score, the ultimate score for each newspaper is a very nuanced, very subtle score combining content, but also the prominence of, of the articles as well. It's called the media vector. And that's one of our, our main contributions, by the way, to all of this kind of research. Well, thank you guys so much for your time. This is, this is awesome getting to talk to you guys. Is there anything else that you'd like to add about the process or any? Final words, I guess. Yeah, this, uh, I can say that this, none of this would be possible without students really jumping in and, 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 and uh, becoming enthusiastic and uh, really enjoying the process and 
And uh, that's why it's important that we all, we're all co-authors. And um, I remember when I first started doing this at TCMJ, uh, faculty members regarded as, with suspicion, you're just using the students and putting your name on these papers, aren't you? And, <laughs> and I try to explain, no, this is really organic. I mean, I, I set out a certain structure and a way of doing things. And when this is implemented and I rewrite and all kinds of things happening. But, but now it's, now it's encouraged at TCMJ. It's inspected and it's a way of life, which is fabulous. Yeah. It's a way of life in the science, in the natural sciences. Uh, but it's, uh, it's taken a while for it to catch on in the social sciences. And um, a lot of communication studies is social science. In fact, most of it is nowadays. At the graduate level, it's social science. If you uh, apply for an NSF grant, and, you know, national grant, uh, communication studies is considered a social science at the national level. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, I guess everything requires research, so it's like it should be more widely available to across any discipline. Major. Yeah. It's also, I thought, uh, I think it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fun creating something original that did not exist before until you, and, you know, Lexi put away your holding in your hand. It's absolutely original research that you created it did not exist before you did this. Yeah, it's really cool at the undergraduate level. I wish I had, I had an opportunity to do that as an undergraduate. I think it's also a success story and collaborative work, work experience. I think everything, I don't know that I've ever been in such a big research group. I don't know if it's normally even bigger. Dr. Pollock would know better than I do, but this, <laughs> no, okay, <laughs> there you go. It, I think it, it worked so well. Yeah. I really worked, I, cause I mean, I was, I felt like when I was telling people about how many people I was working with, they were like, wow, six people and a yeah. professor. Yeah. We did a really good job. Yeah. We worked really well together. Everybody. Since I think a lot of, like all of us have different strengths in mm -hmm. terms of data analysis and writing. And it was nice to kind of see how those strengths work really well together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially since some of us like were more acquainted with how the research was to be done. So like, you know, uh, some of us like took the lead when it came to like coding the articles because we knew that that's something that we were really good at. Other people were like, hey, I'm a really strong writer. Or I'm a really good analyst. So it was just, I, I was thinking about that. Like we all come from such different backgrounds and, in so many different ways. And I think that it just, it brought out the best in each one of us. And it was like, you couldn't ask for a better team. You really could not. Yeah. I feel, I feel very grateful because I, I just remember hearing horror stories from all my friends. I'm in a group and no one's answering my call and in my class, nobody's Zoom screen is on and I don't even know what my group member looks like anymore. And I'm like, well, I don't have that issue. Yeah, I don't know that <laughs> I, we got very, very lucky. Yeah, yeah. So it's, a, it's a Zoom success story. <laughs> we saw too much of each other's faces, but. Yeah. <laughs> For a little while there, I saw them probably more than my own family. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, this is Nancy. Thanks for listening in today at 91.3 FM WTSR. Remember to check out more content online at WTSR.org, on the air, or on our Spotify and Captivate channels. And as always, we remind you to open your mind.